You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Break a Bat podcast where baseball meets Broadway, an attempt to show that my two favorite mediums don't have to live in such separate worlds and maybe even break some stigmas. We're happy to have you with us. Now let's play ball. Hello and welcome to Break a Bat, where baseball meets Broadway and sports meets show business. I'm your host, Al Malafronte, coming at you for the Broadway Podcast Network. Uh, Tonight, we're going to welcome a Tony Award nominee and Drama Desk winner who broke into the big leagues during 2018, when he made his Broadway debut in the title role of SpongeBob SquarePants the Musical. He just co-wrote the phenomenal musical album, Edge of the World, which is now available courtesy of Broadway Records. And I'm so grateful he could join us tonight. So we With that being said, I ask you all to please turn your attention to home plate. Just beyond the marquee, now batting, Ethan Slater. Ethan, welcome, buddy. Thank you for having me. Are we uh, going to put in my walk-up music? um, What what would you be walking up to, Ethan? Uh, You know what? I I really should have uh, had an answer to that. What if I say, uh, You Can Call Me Al by Paul Simon? That's my anthem, man. So I would absolutely be down with that getting out I feel like it would be a surprise to hear a little Paul Simon blasting through the stadium, but if you be like a remix version, if you be my bodyguard, you be you love. You know what I mean? That would that would be a dream come true, man. Let's <laughs> let's let's reach out to the Yankees and uh, see if we can get some of their guys to consider that. That would absolutely be epic. I'm into it. Awesome, man. <laughs> Dude, you've been busy, man. I appreciate you making some time for us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, it's been a it's. It's been a fun couple of months um, in the midst of a pretty hard couple of couple of months. Uh, yeah, I can only imagine. I mean, I know you've been writing for a while, but how long did you have this album in the works? Yeah, I mean, this album uh, was something that we've been working on the show for a while. And then the world sort of shut down. I was in the middle of rehearsal for Assassins, which is actually coming back in the fall, which is awesome. But I was like two weeks in and then, you know, it stopped. And there was a moment where I was talking with Nick, who I co-wrote this with. And I was like, can we like do development on this show, even though we can't get in a a room together? And we had this conversation where we were like, "Ah, it's a show about isolation and like using your imagination to cope with the loneliness of being in isolated rural Alaska. And that feels a little too hard during quarantine um so we sat on it for a minute 
And then we were, and then we came back to it about three months later and we're like, you know what? This, we had this concept album idea as something that we thought would serve the show really well. And, um, it became this incredible thing to, to dive into and, and to like be able to feel connected when we felt so disconnected, um, over the course of, you know, the past year and a half. Now, I know you've been playing guitar since you were a young kid, but as far as writing essentially an entire musical goes, is this something that's new for you? Uh, yeah, I mean, it always feels new to me. Uh, the first like full musical that I wrote was in college. My, my senior thesis was a musical called Hub Crawl, uh, which was uh, about a video game called Hub Crawl. Uh, and he's like, you know, four people who have never met in real life, but are like best friends in this video game. Um, and that was, you know, we, we sort of slapped that thing together, me and me and my friend with whom I wrote it. Um, so that was the first time that I'd like written a full musical like that. I'd written a couple of like kids musicals, which I really loved doing. Um, and yeah, but, but it always like sort of feels new because it's always a different approach. I mean, one of the things that I love about writing, and I talk about this with Nick a lot, um, is you're sort of like balancing inspiration with craft. And you've got this like spine of craft, like all of the studying and reading and story structure that you work on. You've got this like this spine that you've got to put your inspiration on and make sure that you're like letting things flow and having having a sort of as original ideas as you can to tell this unique story. Um and like then falling back and like laying it out to make sure that that you're telling it in the best way possible. So that is a that is a weird rambling answer to say like, <laughs> yes, I've been writing musicals uh, for a long time, um, but every every experience feels a little different to me. I would love to see you know Hub Crawl the musical. I mean, anything based <laughs> on a video game would be kind of epic. We should make like a Call of Duty musical. We should do yes. like Miami Vice or something. Vice City. That would be absolutely epic, right? I think it would be. I mean, like video game storytelling is so incredible and it, and it's so like complex and deep. And I think it's like, I don't know. It's some of the best storytelling that's happening out there. Um, and we, we made this, we made, we wrote Hub Crawl and we were like, I think we've got an idea that's either genius and about to happen or it's never going to happen. And the idea was basically like, you can project, um, a video game into your world so you put on glasses and you can like see the video game and you play and then like a, the next year there was pokemon go uh and we were like man we actually we actually like so i mean i don't know if we actually predicted it but i'm gonna claim that we did <laughs> i mean like certainly they this was in the works and certainly other people were doing it before we thought of this idea like probably we like saw it on reddit and we were like it's genius um but it did just like sort of, uh, you know, took the wind out of our sails. Dude, I'm, <laughs> I'm so proud of what you've accomplished with this, though, because I mean, listen, a lot of the folks at home primarily know you for your comedic work in SpongeBob, which you did on Broadway for quite some time. The character you play and wrote in Edge of the World, Ben, is a bit different. And obviously he's mm -hmm. going through a lot of dramatic change in his life at a young age. And I know that's something you experienced as well as a young kid. Um, I know you say the story isn't, you know, autobiographical, but you have said it's personal. Was it painful in any way to rehash some of those emotions for you? Yeah, I mean, it's hard. I think like I've spent my whole creative life rehashing those moments, um, which, you know, in some sometimes that turns into SpongeBob and sometimes that turns into Edge of the World. 
so like, yeah, it, it's hard. It's really vulnerable. I think that's what the, one of the beautiful things about having a collaborator that you trust is that, you know, they're, they're this sort of safety net, like go be as vulnerable as you can be. And I'll make sure that you are representing yourself and that, and your vulnerability as, as, um, as well as you want to. And I really, I, I've been very grateful for Nick, um, in those moments, like he, he really takes those moments very seriously. Um, cause we're both bringing ourselves to it in some ways, but of course, like you're like, you know, mining the story of your childhood to tell a different story of childhood, but like keep those emotions. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's hard. Now I would like to think, you know, taking on a project like this while the industry has essentially been shut down for the past year and a half. Um, I feel like, you know, because you mentioned that you were getting ready to go back on stage in Assassins off Broadway. You were playing Lee Harvey Oswald, a little bit different than SpongeBob, obviously. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, as it stands right now, the fact that you've been able to keep those creative juices flowing um, with a project as big as Edge of the World, do you feel like you're a better player now than when you were last on stage? Yeah. Do you mean like guitar player? Well, no, no, no. I, well, I have a little baseball metaphor right there. Like, you oh, better oh, have oh, a better hitter. Like, do you think you can hit with oh, more yeah, power yeah. now than before, uh, God, before that, the pandemic? That's hit? a good question. So I'm, I'm going to combine the, the thing that I thought you were saying with the metaphor that you were using, which is like, yeah, totally. I think that um, one of the things that I used as a big outlet uh, over the course of the pandemic was playing guitar. And I've been playing guitar for my whole life, you know, since fourth grade or so. Um but I, I never really felt that competent. I always felt like I was okay and could, uh, you know, play enough. Um, and I could write things that were a little too hard for me to play kind of situation. And then I was cast in Assassins where I was playing Sondheim on guitar. And, you know, I was, I was just spending hours after rehearsal every day practicing. I would be in rehearsal for eight hours, go home and practice for three more hours because it was just like, you know, hard. So because I love playing, I was just, and I, and because we were making this album and I was playing guitar on this album, I was practicing all the time, just like playing guitar every day, many hours a day, um, for my own sanity. And it, it just made me a much better guitarist. So, you know, I feel like I went from batting like 250 to like, now I'm like a solid 300 hitter on guitar. Heck not, yeah. Not the best there's ever been, but like, I feel a lot better about myself. <laughs> well, um, you know what? All you need to do is hit 300 to go at the Hall of Fame. No one's asking you to hit 367 like Tycho. You sound like my dad. <laughs> <laughs> now, yeah, but I, I may have just like oversold myself by giving myself a Hall of Famer status. <laughs> well, hey, listen, the way I see it is a Tony nomination in your first Broadway show. That's like a Rookie of the Year nomination. That's wow. a, That puts you on the map. Yeah, that's kind of like, it is such an interesting thing. Like, it does give you this opportunity to meet just the coolest people, like these people that I am such a huge fan of and have been a fan of. Like, I, you know, yeah, totally. That that was, I know the question wasn't like, what was the coolest thing about being nominated for a Tony? But that was the coolest thing is I got to like, just see these people up close <laughs> that I've been watching on stage my whole life, including Norbert Leo Butts. Right, who's who is a big part of Edge of the World, obviously. Were yeah. you intimidated to ask him at all to be a part of this project? Oh my god, terrified. Well, like, I mean, terrified just because I really wanted him to do it. Nick and I really wanted him to do it because he's just like 
you know, sort of who we had in our heads. Um, and, you know, I know he's a nice guy. I know his reputation, like I'd, he'd been so nice when we'd met and his reputation preceded him of being like an, an awesome guy. Um, but, you know, it's nerve wracking. We were sending him demos where like Nick and I are trading off singing his songs and he listened to the demos and got back to us, you know, through Broadway records and was like, yeah, I, I, I'm into it. Like, let's, let's do this. We were like, no, yeah. You know, it was like this huge moment. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Cause he just like, I think one of the things that we love about the role and that, I, that I like love about the role of Henry is that we wrote these songs where he can just sort of wail and just like really dig into it. And they've got like, they are the emotional core of the show. And, um, but they're also like the vocal core of the show and, and Norbert, you know, can just like lay into them in a way that, uh, I don't think anyone else can. So that was pretty cool to see. Now, he was one of your guys growing up, too. Like, you know, as a young kid who loved theater, you were listening to him in cast recordings from a young age, I'm sure, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, like, you know, I feel like there are two big moments in high school for me of, like, oh, I want to do this with my life. One was I was doing The Producers my junior year and then my senior year. Who were you, um, Bloom or B. Alleystock? I was Bloom. I can see yeah. it. <laughs> a, little, uh, a little predecessor to the SpongeBob voice. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I could totally see that. I'm trying to think of a line. I was just trying to think of a line to like do the voice, but I couldn't. Anyway, uh, <laughs> don't worry. That's like parlor trick stuff. I never. Uh, we have a lot of like you know puppeteers and stuff come on the show. I never yeah. ask them to do their voice on cue, so it's okay. Appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate. It. <laughs> <laughs> but the the other moment, the other like huge moment for me was that my senior year we did like a senior project and like some people like built a tent in the woods and like stayed there for three nights and some people like i don't know just they, they would do random things and my friend kaylin and i put on the last five years and she was the director and i was the music director um and then we you know we're both in it and it was like this incredible experience, not just like taking on a vocal role that was too hard for me and like an emotional role that was beyond beyond our years, um, but also just like we were being scrappy and we like had to put it together with, you know, a bassist and a, pian and a piano player, just the two of them. And like we had a black box and we, you know, there was just no infrastructure. We had to just like, I mean, there was the infrastructure, there was a black box theater, um, but we had to be scrappy. And I think it, it taught me a lot about like, oh, I love uh, scrapping to make something happen. Um, and like being involved in, on multiple ends of, uh, you know, the creative process. So yeah, anyway, the last five years was a, was a huge thing in in my uh theater life it's so interesting though being in the position that you're in now and the individual success that you've had that you still get intimidated to meet your heroes it's a little bit like refreshing for you know not that i've accomplished what you have on stage or anything but i feel the same way when someone comes onto the show for example that i'm a big fan of sometimes i just like don't know what to say and when you talk about trying to have someone bring your work to life. I mean, that could just be like, it's like, you know, the don't meet your heroes thing. Cause like, if they say no, I would feel so devastated, man. So I give you a lot of courage uh, for going about it the way you did and actually just having the guts to ask. It says a lot. Thanks, man. I think that's, I think that's true. It's like really nerve wracking, but then there's like those few moments when it just like really comes through hearing Norbert sing the song for the first time, you know, I mean, especially when it's somebody that like you look up to and that, you love their work and you sort of want that to be reciprocated. You know, it's like, <laughs> I really hope he likes this. Um, 
but I feel like there is maybe nothing that that has been more rewarding than you know seeing seeing other artists connect with what you're working on. I mean, that was true with Lily Cooper too. Like, you know, it's like a slightly different story because I've known Lily for a long time. We did SpongeBob together. We went to college together. Like we're buds, we're close. um, And so, you know, I can, I can sometimes take for granted this, the fact that like, if I ask her like, Hey, would you try out this thing? She'll be like, yeah, because she's my friend and my collaborator. But then there's moments when you're working with her and, you know, we were in the recording studio, we were doing Olivia's song and she starts singing. Well, first of all, she lets us know that she's pregnant and she's about to sing the song about singing to your pregnant belly. And we're like, that feels like kismet, you know, like that is too, <laughs> that is so wild. Um, but like just seeing what she, the artistry that she brings to something that we've been working on as a collaborator and as a performer, an actor, a singer, but just like a person, I don't know, there's, there's sort of no feeling better than um, getting on the same wavelength or like doing the work to get on the same wavelength. Sometimes when you're writing something, you present it to your collaborator, whether that's the performer or the director or your co-writer or whatever. And they're like, oh, close, Uh, not quite, like either not quite what I'm feeling, not quite authentic storytelling, not quite good wordplay or whatever it is, you know? Um, And then like working to get to that good place is, is just the best thing, anyway. Man, in a short period of time, you've had some pretty epic teammates. I have to know, you know, you talked about, uh, you know, we've said SpongeBob a few times already, but breaking into the show the way you did or breaking into the big leagues, just another baseball term. Um, and, you know, when you have like a big machine like Nickelodeon backing it, yeah. um, was there a lot of pressure for you as a young kid, just a few years removed from college, you know, having to make their Broadway debut under bright lights like that? Yeah, I mean, there is a lot of pressure in different ways. I feel like I was really lucky that I, I started working on the show when I was when I was 19. And I was along for the ride. You know, we, we did years of development. And I got so comfortable with the role of SpongeBob that I was, a- I think I was able to focus on just the show. You know, it became, it was so important to me to do justice to SpongeBob that that was the primary focus and the pressure of the bright lights and the Broadway and all of that sort of riding on it um, was sort of secondary to all of the other stuff. I mean, the, the pressure is real though. Like it's, it's a totally, it's a totally different, it's a totally different feeling. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm not even sure I know how to explain it. I feel like one of the best ways to explain it is that I thought that I was totally fine and doing totally fine. Um, I didn't miss a show for like six months and then, you know, award season came around and all of a sudden I lost my voice and I was going to everyone to try to like fix it. You know, I I could still do most of it, but I couldn't hit my high B, you know, which was like a, which is just like a high money note, but it was like too high. Um, all of a sudden after six months, you know, like that was, that was a really hard thing to figure out the day after the Tony is, you know. I come back to the theater. I'm like, there's no chance I'm going to have it now. I was up until 4 a.m., you know, like I wasn't drinking. I wasn't, I didn't like, you know, whatever, but I was just not getting enough sleep. And that night I was fine. And I had the note again. And, you know, it was like, that was a really great moment of me being like, okay, so I didn't realize that the anxiety was getting to me, uh, but clearly it was. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a little bit of both. 
that's I, I did not know the story. How, did you miss any shows while your voice was out, or were they just changing the keys in which you know the orchestra was playing the music? Like, how does that work? I, I um, you know, I, there were a couple of shows that I missed. You know, I, I, first of all, I think that there's there's like an interesting uh, there's like an interesting culture around calling out. There's like, and I think it's sort of changing about this idea, like you know, you do it no matter what. Versus like, if you can't do the show, you shouldn't do the show. Like if you're going to hurt yourself, don't hurt yourself. Like longevity is important. At least so we I talked about that in baseball too. Yeah. Same. Totally. Same yeah. I mean, you know, what my, uh, my team growing up was the Orioles. So like Ironman, Cal Ripken, you know, the 3000 plus game streak, whatever, like that was a huge deal for me. Um, and it's definitely like my mindset was, you know, you don't, you don't call out, you don't miss a show. Um, but sometimes you have to, uh, and, and you have to, because if you don't call out this show, then every other audience is getting a worse performance. So it, it was a tough you know, thing. So I did miss a couple of shows. Um, I, I definitely missed some shows, especially during that period, trying to f- figure things out. But I also changed, um, changed keys. I had an alternate note in one of my songs. Um, and, you know, people like noticed and people would come up to the stage and be like, you didn't hit the high note. I'd be like, I know. Wow. See, you handled it a lot better than I did. I would have like clapped back. Like, so that was your takeaway from the night. At least you handled it with grace. My, my ego's too big. But there's constructive criticism. And then there's just like something you don't, that's, there's something that's rude. That's rude. I would have, I would have. Like, yeah. I mean, it's like a tough balance, right? Like it, it does feel rude and it's like sort of hurtful in the moment. Cause it's like, yeah, but like, I mean, the show is two and a half hours and that was like, you know, that's two measures of music. Um, and like, didn't the emotion come across anyway? Like, isn't the role to be in it? But, but I also understand that like, you know, fans especially like grow attached to these shows. And I really appreciate that attachment. I think that that's like a really beautiful thing. Like once you put something out into the world, it's owned by all of the people who, uh, who see it and love it. So I'm, I'm empathetic to that sort of like instinct Though, if you have that instinct, I would encourage you to uh, rethink it. <laughs> right. I, I, I'm in your camp there, man. I yeah, mean, I man. can't imagine I how tough it is for you, especially, you know, now with social media being as big as it is. That wasn't necessarily the case when you and I were in college. You and I are around the same age, I think. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, having to deal with all that extra outside noise, I think the ability to block it out, um, it's essential, really, if you want. I mean, because it's so easy to get wrapped up in, in, fans feeling like they're a part of the show. Yes. Like you use the word attachment, but I think that sometimes boundaries get blurred just because of the, you know, this digital age that we're in, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. Now you mentioned being an Orioles fan. I have to know, did any Yankees ever come see you in SpongeBob being with their kids or maybe even with their teammates? (laughs) Oh man. I don't think any Yankees came like came backstage to say hi. If they did, I'm like 100% sure I would have remembered. So, <laughs> what the hell? Now that you bring it up, believe... that sort of hurts. That sort of yeah, hurts. Yeah, I know. That's like, I, I would have, I, I don't understand. I mean, they have guys, they, Louis Severino has taken his kids to Frozen and everything. How could you not go see Ethan Slater and SpongeBob and then at least have the courtesy to say hello and thank you for the performance? Right. right. <laughs> um, if I'm wrong, though, you know what? I'm going to, I'm obviously going to go do a deep dive and try to, try to see if I'm, if I'm mistaken. It's possible I am. Does that get overwhelming, especially when you're doing a show like that? I'm sure you have a lot of 
people in the public eye that come see the show with their kids and they all want to meet you afterward. You just like, I mean, you just do a two, two and a half hour show. You're more or less carrying, carrying the show on stage. Is that, are you like exhausted by night's end and it's all kind of a blur for you or you, <laughs> you it's something that really just keeps the adrenaline going, knowing that this person's coming, that person's coming tonight. I mean, there's a, it's a little bit of both. Like after the show, I have my like cool down thing that I have to do just so that the next day I'm not, you know, I, I can do it again. So like there was this whole 20 minute cool down that I would do. Um, yeah. So like I was always pretty exhausted, but it was really fun to see people and to like, you know, it was, first of all, it was cool to like meet you know, like people of whom I was a fan who came to see the show. Like that was awesome. Like there, I remember there's a moment where we spotted Brendan Fraser in the audience and that kept us going. That was like, Oh, we like, I hope he comes back. I, I hope we meet him. Um, you know, I had, I had this incredible moment where I was like, it was the end of a week and I was like exhausted and I was pretty sure I was just going to be able to like, you know, get out, um, go home, you know, do a little stage door. And I hear over the, the announcement, like you're, your cousin's here, uh, Ethan, your cousin's here. And I was like, what? Uh, I didn't realize my cousin was coming. That's weird. Um, and, uh, you know, so I was like, yeah, yeah. Like go, you know, see who it is, send him back. And I'm getting, tra- you know, changed. And as, as soon as I'm dressed, you know, the knock on the door, the door opens and Christian Slater bursts in and goes, what do you think? We cousins? <laughs> <laughs> it's a, and he's just, he's just like the absolute best human on earth. Like he's so awesome. Um, but that was just like one of those moments where it's like, this is the coolest thing. Um, what, I mean, one of the amazing things about doing a Broadway show, at least for me doing SpongeBob is that like all of these people from all different parts of my life came to see it. My preschool teacher came to see it. And like, um, you know, she didn't have a way of getting in touch with me, I don't think. So she was just went to the stage door and was like, Ethan, hey. And I was like, oh my God, like that's amazing. Like what an incredible thing. So I got to see all of these people. Um, and, and that's just a really beautiful thing. I mean, it was hard because I couldn't go out with them. Like I couldn't go to a restaurant because you can't talk, la- you know, it's all those things. But the fact that I got to see them was pretty beautiful. Dude, I love stories like that. Um, I, before I, you know, kind of welcome you to the baseball meets Broadway universe officially with something we do <laughs> call fastball derby. I just wanted to touch on your Orioles fandom for a moment. Who were your guys growing up? Were you like the Ripken, Brady, Anderson, Albert Bell teams, or were you more like like the Melvin Mora, Miguel Tejada? Like I was just gonna, yeah, Melvin Mora, Miguel Tejada, Luis Matos. Um, I think Jeff Jay Conine Gibbons. overlapped. Yeah, Jay Conine Gibbons, was yes. there. Jay Gibbons was out in right field, right? Yes. Am I right about that? Um, yes, and he also had a unintentional cameo in Wedding Crashers. That's how a lot of people know Jay really? Gibbons because that scene when um, Owen Wilson's like all depressed, like he's inside watching the Orioles game, and Jay Gibbons hits a home run because I think oh. it took place in Maryland. <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah, crab cakes and football. Yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh uh, man, yeah, those are my those are my years. You know, like, yeah, I, I like there, I had a I had a a real big. You know, I was like. Huge fan. Um, sent sent a bunch of baseballs to their locker room. I don't think I ever got them back. Oh, <laughs> wanted to get, wanted damn. To get I do have a Brady Anderson signed ball. That was pretty sick. Oh, that's but legit. that was like that was I think a little young. That was like young for me because I was like a, a more like sort of invested um, post Brady Anderson. Right, right, and especially like it's it's been such an interesting. 
run that they've had because I feel like when when you and I were growing up as very young kids, it was them and the Yankees kind of controlling the ALEs. And we were like mm-hmm. a little bit, you know, that was like 96, 97. Then right. they kind of, you know, some of the guys got old really quick and it took them a while to rebuild. Then they had like those exciting teams with like Adam Jones and Manny Machado and Chris Davis and like, and it was them and the Yankees again. And now it's like kind of the, the same cycle. Now they're rebuilding and it's just, yeah, I feel like it's tough because like my prime investment years were the years where they just like, couldn't quite get it together. You know, it was like, Oh, this is the, we got to hot at shortstop. Like we got this. Um, yeah. And then it was like, okay, okay, no, no, no we're going to, we're going to get the wild card. We're going to get the wild card. No, 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 no it's going to be good. It's going to be good. You know, like that, that was sort of like my entire experience of like, of like my prime years, you know, when I was like going to games all the time. Uh, yeah, those rebuild years, boy, are they brutal on a 13 year old. Dude, at least you <laughs> had Camden yards though, man, no matter how poor the team is playing, what a place to watch a game, huh? Beautiful. I mean, we, it was like a, it was a drive to get out to Camden yards. Cause I grew up, uh, just outside of DC and then, and then in DC. Um, but there was like that, I mean, that was a big thing. Like when, when the nationals came to town, there was like a big allegiance switch and I had a lot of trouble with that allegiance switch. You know, that was, that was hard for me to do. Interesting. So were you going, they were, when they broke in, they went, I think they opened at RFK stadium, right? Before they got their own ballpark. While they, while they were still building the ballpark. Yeah. Right. Right. That's right. Cause now it's nationals park or whatever. Right. So you had a lot of friends that actually switched from the O's to the Nets. There was just an immediate like, Oh, we got a team now. Here we are. And I get, I mean, I get that. That makes sense. But uh, I was just very invested. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Well, I'm glad to hear that to this day, you still bleed black and orange man and i want you to uh picture yourself now in that batter's box at camden yards you a lefty or righty hitter ethan i'm really a righty hitter but when i was playing i was switch hitting oh damn you're gonna tee off on me here well i want you to think of me as a raldus chapman raldus chapman's a lefty and yeah i was gonna see if i could try to neutralize uh what's neutralize you based on what side of the plate you're coming up as but uh (laughs) basically i want you to think of me as chapman throwing 105 miles an hour with these questions i'm going to ask you something you tell me the first thing that comes to your mind and you're an awesome storyteller if you have any that you want to sprinkle in there by all means we'll see sprinkle in all right batter up favorite new york city meal oh uh sweet chick I I don't know why when I was when I was living uh I was like doing uh a summer workshop of SpongeBob like in between years we got to we were living in sort of uh, just north of Williamsburg and there was this place Sweet Chick that like I was like I have found 
um, like this incredible thing. And, you know, my then girlfriend, now wife and I, um, just went there way too many times. So when I think about like a nostalgic meal, it's this like sort of random place. Love it. All right. You're a big music guy. Who's America's band, the beach boys or Eagles? I mean, I got, I got to go with the beach boys. I got to go. Not just because of my shirt. I hope. Right. I I was not trying to hint at that. Oh, I can't even see that on my shirt. Okay. Okay. Good. Well, that that was an impartial response that Ethan Slater just gave to that question. So I'm (laughs) glad (laughs) I am wearing a beach boy shirt though. Um, (laughs) Okay. Now listen, different team here, but I have to know you've been in New York a while. I feel like you can make an educated uh, opinion on this one. Team Derek Jeter or Team Alex Rodriguez? I got to go Team Derek Jeter. You hate A-Rod, you can just say if you do. (laughs) Was it? Was that? Do you hate A-Rod? You can say if you do. (laughs) I don't... You know what? My feelings aren't that strong. I got to go Team Derek Jeter because uh, I feel like he he was on backyard baseball and I love playing with him. That's that's truly how deep it goes with me. Not that deep. (laughs) Best memory you have of performing in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade? Ooh, man, the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade is so fun. I'm going to give two. One is it's freaking cold and it's early. And uh, I love just like there have these tubes of hot air. And so we're like getting ready to go and everyone's just like, you know, like, you know, trying to shake to keep warm, standing in front of tubes of hot air. And there's just something so funny about that to me. but maybe the best thing is you're like walking from your trailer through Macy's to get to 34th street. And you're like passing by like all of your Broadway friends in their Broadway costumes, like fully decked out, like Derek Klenna wearing his Anastasia outfit. <laughs> you know, <or> like, <laughs> yeah. you know, There's just like something like so ridiculous, like that and the Tonys, I feel like for me, were just like, like SpongeBob and, you know, I'm trying to think who else was there. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It was just like this, like amazing these crossover events. SpongeBob and My Fair Lady. I think they were also there. Oh, interesting. Okay. Oh, that's right. That's right. This was this was twenty. Was it twenty seventeen when you did the Macy's Parade? I'm trying to remember. We did it. Yeah, because it was before we opened, so we were just in previews. So it would have been twenty seventeen Thanksgiving, twenty seventeen. That's right. And Clennon was doing Dimitri then. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. He's a, he's a big baseball guy too. I'm sure you know. Oh yeah. <laughs> My Petersburg. Yeah. He and I, he and I met doing a diner. Um, oh, that's right. Uh, in Delaware, we were roommates in, in Delaware while we were doing diner. And I remember finding out that he was just like a sick baseball player. Cause I was like, yeah, yeah. Like let's play. Uh, <laughs> Did he, did he have, he's a pitcher. Did he have you catch? <laughs> no, we, we didn't get that far. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Here's a fun one. Uh, what's your all time favorite musical? I just, I got to go with the one that pops into my head first, which is always Jesus Christ superstar. Although, you know what, to switch it up just because, uh, you know, to stay on theme, um, seeing damn Yankees when I was a kid at arena stage was like this huge moment for me as like a kid who was obsessed with baseball and also like liked theater a lot, like sort of seeing baseball choreography was like, whoa. Um, and it sort of like showed me the, I mean, it was like right now when I look back on it, it's this link of like the athleticism of dance and the teamwork of theater in the same way that like the things that I love about baseball, loved about baseball, particularly as a kid 
were those things. And I was like, oh, they're here too. Um, and I think that that was, that was a big moment for me. That's so cool. Cause we've had a lot of people come on who aren't necessarily big sports fans, but talk about how much they love damn Yankees. I've never had anyone talk about it in that way before. So that's actually pretty cool to hear that, especially yeah. for you being a kid who loves sports and the arts at the same time to be able to recognize that. That's awesome. Yeah. It was a nice, it was a nice, like, you know, cause I was a, I was a big card collector. Um, you know, I just had like sort of thousands of baseball cards and I had, did this, you like, play MLB showdown by the, by the way, with, um, I, with like the shinies and we're basically like the, the basically like Pokemon cards for baseball, like where you could go off against your friends with like, yeah, the, I mean, the dice. We, we didn't, I never played it, but I did have the cards. You know yeah, I mean? and you used to get excited about getting the shinies also. That was like my peak oh, baseball yeah. card fandom. Yes, that's amazing. I got like I got like in this really ridiculous way, I got very into like finding old cards. And it sort of didn't matter like who the players were, but I got like a Carl Yastrzemski rookie card, which was like like this I mean it's, we st I still have it. Got this like uh I had this like Mickey Mantle card. You know, we like Are you kidding? It was just Mantle? like this I had a mantle card, but it's like, you know, pr not good condition. I think it was a uh, very good condition, which is not actually very good. Um, so, you know, like I was like, we would go to like flea markets and things, uh, my stepbrothers and I, and we would like look for just old cards um, and just like buy packs with like really rancid bubble gum in them, you know, <laughs> you know, that, that was like, for some reason I, I was like, you know, I was like antiquing for baseball cards. <laughs> Love it. Greatest Orioles game or sporting event you've ever been to? Ooh, I mean the greatest sporting event that I that I went to was not was not a baseball game. Probably it was probably um, the Washington football team when they had uh, their despicable name um, uh, playing against the Cowboys to clinch the playoffs. Uh, and RG three was playing and he was like, this was the game that he, that he hurt his leg, um, which was heartbreaking, but he played the most unbelievable game. And my buddy texted me like the day, like the day before and was like, Hey, um, I don't know. I don't know how, but I just got tickets on the 50 yard line, like eight rows back for this game. Do you want to come? And so like these two, uh, you know, theater kids went, and like watch this just absolutely sick game from like right up there. So that was like a very memorable moment. It was wow. the first, it was the first football game I'd been, uh, the first uh, NFL game I'd, I had gone to. Um, so was, wow. Yeah, that's my most memorable. Yeah. Well, that's no, no argument here. Um, okay. Most embarrassing on stage moment. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Okay. So, uh, about 330 performances into SpongeBob, maybe even more than that. Um, I had yet to go up on a line and I also was like, not really coasting. Like I was, I always felt very present. It never, you know, sometimes you're able to like do a show or you just sort of like go through it, but SpongeBob was just like really hard. <laughs> so, so I was always like super present. And then I guess this one show, I was sort of tired and we were climbing, but I'm doing the climbing the mountain humongous ladder wall. And like, you'd think that that's a part where I would like really have to focus in, but that was actually a part where I was like, I sort of got this, like, you know, I, I know what I'm doing. I have to focus on the climbing, but I, you know, I got it. 
And then I get there and I swing in and I land and I'm like, oh, that was a good swing. Like, nice, Ethan. Nice. And then I'm up there and I have no idea what I'm doing up there. I'm all of a sudden I'm like, spotlight on me. There is nothing else happening. The music has just cut out. It is silent. And I go, I'm here. And Danny and Lily are down below. And they're just like, are waiting. And I can hear them be like, uh, and Danny goes, the, li- the line I'm supposed to say is, I'm here and it's really, really hot. And I just went, I'm here. <laughs> and then Danny goes, uh, is it hot? And I was like, yeah. He goes, do you want to throw it in? And I said, uh huh. And he just did all of he just did all of my lines. You were just the in the like, white room at that point. Oh man! I, and I couldn't get back on. He was giving me everything, every single lifeline I could possibly ask for. Just like I can, like, there's just like giggling backstage. There's just it's just like also the silences must have been eight minutes long, twenty minutes long. I don't know. Maybe they were hours long. I I like could not get out of this white room. And he just takes me through. He's like, oh, okay. (laughs) He just took me through the entire scene. And then I get down to the bottom and he's like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I don't know. He's like, get together. (laughs) Dude, you really are a great physical comedian. I wish that there was some visual to this for our audience. But you did all the gestures and everything. I was doing my best not to die laughing. That's a that's as good an answer as we've had for most embarrassing on stage. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. This is oh, horrifying. All right. Opposite <laughs> side of the ball now. Proudest moment of your career. Oh, you know, probably the proudest moment of my career. Uh, I'm going to stick with a SpongeBob story. Um, well, okay. I will say that something that does sort of rival it is, is the making of this album has been like really, really pretty special. Um, and like to get like best friends getting together to make music, making new friends. I mean, our, our producer in Minneapolis, this guy, Aaron Ankrum, who is just like an awesome dude, super genius, did this whole thing remotely. And like, you know, we're, we're like, buds now and collaborators now norbert like just like working with an idol like getting this thing to come together super proud mike dobson um from spongebob is like who's the foley artist in spongebob is just like this has been this genius collaborator of mine musically for for years and i love working with him and so like getting to work with him on this album and marco pagia anyway so i'm just now i'm just naming uh, all the people but like just to finish that, you know, Broadway records and like bonnie bonnie uh, bonnie comley and Stuart lane who uh produced it like just like it's such a proud feeling to like be proud of your collaborators and to have brought this thing together. Um, so anyway, there's that. But then the SpongeBob one, which is actually similar now that I think about it, is closing night of SpongeBob. Um, we're backstage. I'm like choking back tears, you know, because I'm I'm sad we're closing, but so proud of the show we've put together. We we every show every performance we um, put our hands in and we would. Uh, you know, on three, we would say a line that was cut from the show over the, you know, over the process and every performance we did it. And then, you know, as it was, it, it was just a fun thing. So we put our hands in and on three, we say SpongeBob on Broadway. Cause now if that's the last performance, it's been cut from the show. And that was like a hard moment. 
And then all of a sudden, we hear this like uproarious applause and cheering from the audience. Like this packed house is just going nuts. And everyone's like, what is going on? What's going on? We like run to the wings. We like can't quite see what's going on. We finally, we go over to our stage manager um, and, and we're like, hey, what is happening? And she angles the camera so that we can see on the monitor that Mike Dobson has just walked into the theater and he was getting a standing ovation. And it was like, I'm like choked up just talking about it because, you know, it was this moment of like utter clarity. Mike Dobson is the Foley artist. He's integral to the show. He's been there from absolutely day one. Like he was at the very first workshop. The first presentation we did was just Dobson doing Foley and, um, me like making faces was like part of the first workshop presentation. He is the core of the show. And, uh, it's something that I, I assumed wouldn't necessarily be recognized as, as true. Um, but when he walked into the theater and got a standing ovation and, you know, over 1600 people recognized that he was, uh, he is like invaluable. Uh, and that was a really beautiful thing to be like, oh, wow, people really got this thing. People really understood it. Very humble answer. I like that. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, I'm serious. I mean, the fact that, you know, you're showing that appreciation for someone else and being so proud of all the work that you did together, that's, uh says a lot. I, yeah, well, thanks. It's true. It, it really is. I think that's like the beauty of of finding good collaborators is like you feel really proud um, of the work you do together and to be associated with them. Now, Ethan, this is the one that we use to uh, wrap every episode of Break a Bad. And I'm very excited to hear your answer and I'm sure our audience will be as well. Um, what's the best piece of advice anyone's ever given you? All right. Uh, the, the answer that I'll give the answer that I usually give when I, whenever I get that question, uh, which is in a high school, we were doing a production of the producers. Like I, like I mentioned before, uh, Max Bialystok was played by my good friend, Noah Robbins, who to this day is one of the best actors I've ever worked with. He's incredible. Um, and you've seen him everywhere. He's everywhere. <laughs> so we were doing this show and, and I was like, Noah, what's your secret? Like, why are you so good? And he said, Oh, I don't know. I think, uh, I don't know. Like, I think for me is just like making everyone else on stage look better than you. And he said it like that. He was just like, I don't know. Like, maybe not. And I was like, Oh, that's a weird answer. But the more I've thought about it over the years, the more I've been like, yeah, that is what good acting is. Good acting is not saying, Hey, look at me. It's saying, Hey, here's the story that I'm telling. And, 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 throwing your energy towards the other people that you're sharing the stage with. Uh, so I've, I've really clung to that. And I, I, I have mentioned it to him many times. We're, we're good friends and he insists that he never said it. So just so you know, <laughs> he's like, he's like, that doesn't sound like me. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's you, but the only other answer that I, that I could give to that is uh, anonymous advice that I got was uh, taking advice is impossible. So just like try to hear it. Um, and then like recognize when you make that exact same mistake that somebody once warned you not to. Wow. That's My, uh, like that. both great bits of wisdom. My biggest takeaway from this, however, is, um, 
if they were to revive the producers on Broadway, um, I think you simply have to be in it. Because I would, I would absolutely love to see your rendition of Blue because that would be, I, I, could, I could see it from the beginning. It, it would be perfect. I think we should start a petition. I want to be a producer and sleep until half past two. <laughs> There's the audition tape right there, folks. So the, peti- the petition starts with this episode. And Ethan Slater is the absolute man. If you couldn't tell from these uh, past 45 minutes or so, dude, thank you so much for joining us today. This was awesome. Oh, thank you, Al. I had a blast. I'm so glad to hear that. And uh, for all the folks at home who may want to connect with you on social media and, you know, get more info on Edge of the World, where's the best place where they can find some more info? Yeah, find me on Instagram at Ethan Slater. And then I'm on Twitter at Ethan S.A. Slater, uh, which is actually because my middle name is Sam, but it does spell Ethan's a Slater, if that helps. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and then you can find uh, Edge of the World Anywhere you listen to music, stream it on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever, or you can go to broadwayrecords.com where you can buy it and, and get the liner notes with it. So you can check out the lyrics and, and some stuff that Nick and I wrote um, and all that. Yeah. Well, you heard it here first, folks. Be sure to check out Edge of the World. And uh, come this November, you can also see Ethan back on stage in Assassins. And we're all very excited about that. So, uh, Ethan, thank you again, my man. And thank you to all of our listeners at home who joined us tonight. Uh, This is Al Malafronte signing off for the Broadway Podcast Network. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Break a Bat. This is produced by the fine folks at the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit and subscribe at bpn.fm slash breakabat. You can find me online at break underscore a underscore bat underscore podcast. And you can also find the Broadway Podcast Network on Instagram at Broadway Podcast Network. It's been so great having you here with us today, and we'll see you next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.